Good evening, everyone. I'm Ian James Wright from Washington, D.C., and you're listening to The Alphabetical Fugazi, the only podcast that devotes an episode each to discussing every song in the band's catalog from Fuga A to Fuga Z. Joining me today to discuss Stacks from the 1991 album Steady Diet of Nothing is David Fisher, a Fugazi fan from the U.S. who's now based in Hong Kong. David, how's it going today? Tonight for me, but it's going pretty well. <laughs> yeah, I, I guess I should have said tonight. We're, it's it's 9, uh, 9.13 a.m. where I'm recording, and you are gracious enough to hop on at after midnight your time. So thanks very much for <laughs> for joining me. I remember I used to live uh, in, in South Korea for a few years, and I remember... Like, uh, you know, getting on uh, Skype or whatever for uh, Christmas with my family and just like the, the crazy time difference was really surreal. Yeah, it is a bit strange. I, I'll apologize in advance if I yawn during the uh, <laughs> during the recording. It's, it's not that I'm bored. It's just past my bedtime. <laughs> <laughs> got it. Got it. It's cool to hear that uh, you've you've wound up in Hong Kong. I bet that's an interesting experience. And uh, I should mention for listeners, I've mentioned your name uh, a couple of times in the past. I think in addenda episodes, you've contributed some extra knowledge to the show. For example, you you sent me an updated picture of the the sort of Hong Kong skyline that was used in the in in the cover for End Hits, and uh, just to show me what it looks like nowadays. So that was a that was a very cool little addition. So thank you for that. Oh, my pleasure. I always like to hear people's Fugazi stories. So, David Fisher, what's your story? Do you remember how you got into Fugazi first? I remember very clearly, actually, the progression uh, into becoming a Fugazi fan. So I first became aware of the band uh, by seeing my sister's, my older sister's cassette of Repeater. This would have been back probably in 1990 when I was probably 13 or 14 years old. But our relationship was such that I didn't hear her ever listen to it, and I never borrowed the cassette. I just sort of took note of the cover and thought it was a bit interesting. Fast forward a couple years, and then one of my classmates had that bootleg T-shirt that's been mentioned a couple times in the podcast where it says, this is not a Fugazi shirt. We were friendly. I asked him about you know, what that shirt was about, and he tried to explain it to me, but again, I just never ended up listening to anything that they had put out by that time. And fast forward again to around the turn of the century when I was preparing for a trip to Europe with a cousin of mine, and he wanted to get some music for the trip. And he showed me this new thing called Napster, which I'd never heard of. I guess it had been out for a few months. And he said, oh, you can download any song ever <laughs> on, this, <laughs> on this software. And I, it sort of didn't make sense to me. I was like, that couldn't be real, because if that was real, that would be on the news. I would have heard about that. But I saw him do it, and I was like, wow, this is a real thing. And then when I got back from the trip, for the first time in my life, really, I got into finding my own music, not just sort of being a passive listener to, you know, what was on MTV or whatever. And I read about Fugazi because uh, they were a band that I guess would be uh, a couple steps removed from what I was listening to at the time, which was kind of like the Misfits and things like that. And I read that they were a really good live band. And when I got on to Napster, one of the songs that came up was repeater and next to it it said live great version 
from the 1997 Fort Reno show. And I downloaded that one. And wow, that was a great version. And I was like, man, that, you know, they weren't kidding. And so that just got me into trying to find more and more live stuff from them. And over time, just like everybody else who's listening to this, I became really into them. And one way that my uh, connection with the music is maybe different than some of the listeners is that the vast majority of what I've listened to is live stuff. I haven't listened to the regular albums very often, other than The Argument, which mm. came out you know, when I was already a fan. And when the live series came out, I was kind of overwhelmed with, you know, man, I, I can listen to everything now. And so what I decided to do was I decided to listen to all of the concerts sequentially. Wow. And over the past 10 years, I've been working through them and I'm up to July 2001 at this point. Um, getting close to the through, end there. Wow. Getting close to the end. Um, yeah, and that brings me, I guess, where I am today. There are a couple of uh, Fugazi superfan listeners who have done pretty much the same project and, and uh, comment on the, the page sometimes and add their little insights that they get from hearing stuff that's said during the interludes. But also, of course, just uh, listening to the different touches they would throw in live. So, yeah, that's really cool. I've been listening to many more live shows myself recently. Yes, you were gifted that uh the great pass. <laughs> Fantastic gift. Yeah. I I'm enjoying it. Um yeah, I, I what something I've been doing recently is yeah, I'm preparing for an episode say on Stax for example. I I sh- sort of look up shows where Stax is played and sort of zero in on ones where there's an interlude track before that's the song I'm I'm concentrating on and downloading those and seeing if seeing if they mention anything outside of the song about the song. This mm. particular one I haven't had much success actually, but uh I think some of them there's stuff that's either revealing or possibly faux revealing. Like Gee for example sometimes will say something about a song that seems to be just like total BS and he's messing with people. Right. Yeah, they don't comment much about this song uh certainly in the live series. Yeah. And so uh does that mean that you never got a chance to actually see the band live? Oh, actually, no, I did. I, I probably should have included that story. So um, I guess it was in 2001 that uh, I started to investigate, you know, what if they were playing anywhere, you know, near me. I mean, I was in New Jersey. Getting into New York City wouldn't have been a problem or whatever. But the first time that they were playing that I was aware of anywhere vaguely near me was in Washington, D.C. And I was concerned, turns out legitimately so, that they wouldn't be playing very more shows because they are, you know, getting older. You know how life is and difficult to keep a band together forever. And so I really made it a point to go see them at that show. And I drove down from uh, northern New Jersey to D.C., Mm-hmm. Uh, to go see them. It turned out to be one of the two Hello Morning shows, which uh-huh. you mentioned a couple times in the podcast. But at that time, you know, it's funny, I because of how I 
approached their discography, at that point, I hadn't even listened to like all their songs. And then the, the show that I was at was very heavy in, in terms of uh, playing songs that would be on the argument, but that wasn't out yet. So at the show, I only heard maybe like three or four songs that I'd ever heard before, but I really enjoyed it. And most importantly for me, and this actually kind of relates to the song that we'll talk about a little bit for me, is that I was very happy with the fact that I made the effort to go down there. And because it's somewhat out of my character to make such a big effort to go do something that's not a necessity. I'm somewhat of a homebody and uh, to make a trip all the way down to D.C. is a big act for me. But you know, I did it and I was happy with the outcome. And, you know, I look back fondly on that day for sure. So let's see, uh, narrowing it down, 2001, Washington, D.C. Was this at the 930 Club, the Sacred Heart Church Hall or Fort Reno? It was the Sacred Heart uh, Church Show. Okay, nice. Um, yeah, a Hello Morning Show. Indeed. That's a rarity. Pretty cool. Uh, I, I didn't make it to that one. I was at the... Uh, Fort Reno show a little bit later that year. I like the set list. Starting out with arguments, coming out strong, into sophisticated finds, get an arpeggiator toward the end there. Seems like a nice show. Yeah, yeah. I hadn't heard arpeggiator yet. And when I heard it at at the concert, I was like, man, this is great. Like, Because <laughs> the instrumentals that I heard were kind of okay. But for me, arpeggiator is really stands out as a great instrumental track. And that was one that when I got back home, I was like, man, I have to find this one, you know, for sure. Yeah, totally. Cool. Well, as I said, today we're talking about stacks from Steady Diet of Nothing. And uh, also, as we said, there's, I mean, for me, there's not too much information out there that I was able to find on this song, other than, uh, as some of you may remember, it was discussed in the instrument documentary in, in one of those very amusing segments where what is it they're being Guy and Ian are being interviewed by like is she a, I guess she's a high school girl right this not girl. even she's in middle school middle school girl yeah this this like redhead on and, and it's very awkward like sort of talk show format I I love those segments like she acts like she's being held at gunpoint or something she like she doesn't seem very into it I I'm sure maybe that's just you know you know based on the fact that she was a middle schooler and is sort of awkward in front of the cameras. Um, but but I love those segments. I love that they chose to put those in there. I, I'm sure they just sort of got a kick out of that, the sort of awkwardness of that whole experience. But but anyway, in one of those, she asks about uh, stacks. Uh, and in particular, she, ha- she says, you have a slogan. Um, and I think it's funny that she says that. You have a slogan. America is just a word, but I use it. And she asks Ian to elaborate on that. So just quoting for people who don't quite remember, Ian says, that line is about how words and your language ultimately locks you into a certain place. You don't have much freedom outside of that particular language. And America, in essence, is just an idea, just a word. And what it actually means is sort of left to each person to figure out for themselves. Uh, so end quote there. And that's that's interesting. It sort of reminds me of concepts in you know george orwell's 1984 where the whole thing with new speak is to to get people locked into a certain vocabulary and way of speaking so that uh thinking contrary to the the sort of party orthodoxy is literally impossible because the language doesn't allow you to do it 
that's all I have by way of introducing stacks. What are your first thoughts on this, David? I'm, my strength is not uh, interpretation of poetry and stuff, and it's not something that I'm well-versed in. And so I recognize the fact that whatever my thoughts are in this song, for sure, can just be whatever, whatever I happen to be taking from it. But for me, um, this actually is one of three songs, I feel like, where Ian, like the one of, one of the overall messages is just like a general approach to life. And the other two that stand out to me in that way are Expectator and Long Distance Runner. And for me, Stax is mostly where it's life is what you make of it. Hmm. And there's another quote, not in that portion of the instrument, but in a later portion of it, that, that sticks with me and related somewhat to my concert experience, but just life in general, where he's, Ian says, you're no longer sitting at home waiting for life's moments to come to you. You're out and you're going to the moments. Hmm. And I feel like there's some spirit of that in this song, too. Um, like he said in the quote uh, from uh, that you mentioned, he says that this is a complicated song. I think there are probably a couple things going on. But for me, the main takeaway is just that i mean it's some of that like diy like you know if you don't like your situation you change it right i i guess you're mainly talking about the the line time is real in that interpretation right like t- this time is real i feel it passing i see it passing by the avenue etc just like the sense of time slipping away and um anxiety over not taking advantage of the time you're given well <laughs> I mean, yes and no. I, I'm not. I, I have a conclusion about that first kind of stanza, but I'm not sure if I can really justify it. Which is that, like it says, time is real, passing through the telephone or whatever, and then no one is home now. No one is home. Fine. From what I've heard of Ian talk, he likes talking to people, whether it be on the phone or in, in person. Yeah. And if no one is home, there's no one to talk to. You could just you know, complain, oh, I'm, you know, there's no one around, there's nothing, you know, nobody to talk to. Or you can pick up the phone and call somebody. And it's that kind of juxtaposition where you're sort of taking an action to resolve something that you're dissatisfied with. Hmm. That's interesting. Again, and I, that's just... I could, I could see it totally interpreted the other way, too, where, like, you're you're on the telephone, um, maybe maybe for some kind of like obligation, some kind of job that you're doing that involves talking on the telephone, being in a conference call or whatever, and you're just like, man, I feel time passing as I'm on the telephone, and I just feel my time being wasted. Um, so I, it, it's one of those interesting stanzas that I think you could really interpret in completely opposite directions. Yeah, for sure. I. Like I said, I mean, I can't, I can't quite justify why I take it the way that I do, but um, I think a big part of it is that I, I think, you know, socializing with others is something that's positive. And, you know, all, even though, yeah, you can be stuck on the phone chatting with somebody that you don't want to be and, you know, you're just looking to get off. But that's part of, part of the joy of trying to decipher these songs. <laughs> yeah. No, it, it's interesting that you you know, you're talking about deciphering poetry and stuff because I, I do feel that in 
in the greater picture of of Ian Mackay lyric songs, this is maybe one of the more difficult ones. I th- I think it's sort of like almost more of a gee feeling song in a way, in in that I feel it's more open to interpretation than a lot of Ian Mackay's songs, and uh, maybe a little a little difficult to figure out exactly what he's getting at for me. Yeah, I think that's true. I mean, can you? I couldn't imagine trying to interpret this without what he said in that instrument documentary. I probably, yeah. I mean, I, I would be at a loss because it was what he said in his answer. It's not what I would have thought. Uh, yeah, his intention to. I I would say I have particular thoughts about parts of this song. Um, but of course, all those parts add up to a whole, and it, and it's sort of like if you are not correct on what each of those parts, quote unquote, means, as at least as Ian intended, you're probably not going to get a correct picture of the whole. But yeah, to break down some of those parts, I, I mean, going back to America is just a word, but I use it. For, like for me, that's the central line of the song in terms of it's the one that I always think when I think of the song stacks. That's that's the line that pops into my head. And it's a good one to chew on. I I feel like my brain has just chewed on that line a little throughout the years and and just sort of pondered it. And I like a line that that can inspire me to do that. It's an interesting concept in that, like, um, you know, I'm an atheist, for example. But sometimes you will hear me use a phrase like God willing uh, or inshallah, if I'm feeling particularly cosmopolitan, (laughs) I might throw that in there. Um, But and, and I don't literally mean that, you know, I hope God uh, creates a a certain situation. I I guess what I really mean when I say that is I hope that the uh, insane complexity of all the minute interactions of every person on Earth uh, brings about a situation where X, right? And that's just, there's no shorthand for saying that. So I'll be like, yeah, God willing. And so, yeah, it's like God is just a word to me. It's not, it doesn't relate to an actual uh, concept that I think is real in the world. Um, so it's just a word, but I use it, and I think it is a useful word sometimes. For for America, is just a word, but I use it. Like I was just thinking about that uh, when I was recording the episode for Smallpox Champion. And uh, so that's the last one that I recorded before talking to you. You haven't heard that yet because it's not out, but, you know, white settlers bullied and dominated their way into America in so many real literal ways, like killing off the indigenous population, claiming the lands, claiming the resources, imposing their will on it. Um, but not only that, it's like even the word America, it's, a, it's the name of some Italian explorer from hundreds of years ago. It's such a sort of wrong word to use in a way, but it's sort of like the best thing we have to describe a concept that is important to describe. I feel like I'm rambling. Is this making sense? Yeah, no, I get it. I mean, both on, on the the what you were saying about how, especially like with religious words, because you know I'm a non-believer. Also, if I ever use those, part of me always sort of hesitates. Like, oh, is this person going to think that I'm religious because I'm using this word? Yeah. But then yeah. also the issue, yeah, about how America is just a word, but I use it. I bet if you ask. 10 people, you know, what is America? And, you know, describe it a bit, you'd get 10 different answers, because, you know, no one's going to say, oh, well, it's from this latitude, and, you know, down to this other latitude, and (laughs) um, we got the borders there. I mean, okay, but that's not what it 
really is, right? Or it's like, it would be like saying, you know, oh, the color red is light that goes at, you know, this frequency. I mean, it is, but that's not really what red is. Yeah, that's not how we experience it. Yeah. Um, Yeah, so, I mean, that makes sense to me. And even if you try to describe America as literally as possible uh, by, and like describe how it's bounded by certain latitudes and, and boundaries, even then it's it's super complicated because of course, you know, like embassies on foreign soil are considered America, right? So it's like there's so many yeah. weird little complications um that go into talking about what America is and like, you know, do you include Guam? Um do you like do you include Washington DC where the the citizens uh, have no representation in in Congress, at least with a voting member? There are all these little complications and in talking about America, you're totally right. Yeah, you might as well decide for yourself, right? But I, I think the the difficulty is in reconciling that with a lot of the rest of the song. These stacks, they keep me down, so I build some more. Those are the lines that come directly before America is just a word, but I use it. Um, but it's a little mysterious to me how they relate, given their proximity to each other. They seem like of a piece that they came from the same sort of train of thought in Ian Mackay's mind. Um, and I'm not completely sure uh, what they all mean when added up. Yeah, I, my only guess is that the stacks are stacks of words. Because of what he said, how like in that quote that you mentioned from in- Instrument, essentially is like language is restricting in a certain way. Yeah. And that you know, the stacks of these words are ultimately like burdening him. Uh, but he, you have to build more because in a way that's, that helps you express yourself. But then for every word that you define, that's just another stack on top of you. I mean, it's, 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 you know, plays it placing a very heavy burden on language to, you know, bear such stress from just being able to talk. But, um, Sure. You know, that that would be my only guess for what he meant there. The word stacks, it has several different definitions, but one of them is is like stacks in a library, right? Tangent, I don't know if you're a Magnetic Fields fan. One of my favorite lines in any of their songs uh, from Swinging London, I read your manifestos and your strange religious tracts. You took me to your library and kissed me in the stacks. What a brilliant little couplet. That's a good one for sure. But anyway, so these these stacks, these all these volumes of words that have been written, um, and of course, this is something that has been touched on in previous Fugazi songs. Furniture comes to mind, right? Like bookshelf gathering dust, full of thought already written. There is this this concept of um, previously written and expressed thought being a little bit oppressive in some ways like yeah it's a source of knowledge um but it's it's also like the amount of knowledge that you've absorbed by thinkers who've come before you might in some way limit your own capacity your own freedom to to think for yourself so yeah that's that's why that's an interesting interpretation these stacks they keep me down so i build some more right and of course ian mckay is adding to the aggregate creative output of the creative writers and uh, and songwriters in the world by at the moment that he's writing this song he's like yeah all right i'm building some more i'm building a body of work as i write this song 
Um, so, <laughs> like in response to being kept down by other people's work. Yeah, most definitely. I, you know, what you said has kind of crossed my mind when thinking about the song, but I haven't wasn't really able to put it together as clearly as you uh, said it out there. Yeah. Well, I I I hope that's <laughs> I hope that's some somewhere in the vicinity of correct because like uh, like as I mentioned, stacks that the word that and that's of course the title of the song, so it must carry some importance. Um, it has various definitions. Uh, like I think stacks can refer to money, for example. Yeah, you could you could see it as like money oppresses me, so I make more money. And I I think if he's using it that way, it it seems like that would be something he'd write in more of a character song. Like he's sort of creating a, a fictional character rather than actually writing about himself. But I could I could see that as a, as a kind of song, right? Like about some sort of greedy businessman, um, a figure that has come up before in Fugazi songs, right? Just like feeling oppressed by by money. So he's like, all right, I, I just got to make more money. I'm a slave to it. Like a kind of wealth addict. Yeah. Uh, for me, like one of one of the things that frees me when listening or when thinking about this song is the fact that I see it as so much about like, you know, life is life is what you make it. I mean, you know, you you define the world for yourself. And mm-hmm. so for for that reason, like whatever Ian's intention was beyond that doesn't matter so much mm-hmm. because it's whatever I think and whatever I want it to be. A line from uh, song number one, right? Life is what you want it to be. Yeah. I feel that concept in here. I also feel a little bit of resonance uh, coming from waiting room, of course, in, in the anxiety over time passing by. Uh, this time is real. I see it passing by the avenue. Nothing to do now. There are these interesting little echoes throughout Fugazi's lyrics that you know just come back from time to time and remind you of, of stuff they had written before. Right, including, uh, I get the sense here that when he uses the word repeating, that it's somehow like a negative. Yeah. And, you know, and that's something that has been in uh, other songs of his where the idea of like repetition is somehow like a negative thing. Yeah, definitely. Um, I, I think that's inarguable that both here and in repeater, it's it's negative. And um, <clears throat> yeah, you, you get the sense that uh, that Ian likes things to be new. He He doesn't... He sort of resents that, like being trapped in a pattern, whether it's a pattern of doing the same old thing or the, the pattern of of just thinking the, in the same way. That he he prefers he prefers things to be new and, and interesting. I do think it's it's funny that he has that line: "Language keeps me locked in repeating," and he just repeats that several times as if to you know put a <laughs> to put a fine point on it and sort of illustrate what he means. That's not the only repetition in the song either. He repeats just, but I use it several times. Yeah, I thought the same thing. That it was a kind of like demonstration of the dynamic that he's, you know, referring to is this kind of, you know, okay, I, I make a word, I sort of define it for myself, but then by defining it, I'm, I'm restricting how I can use it. So I need to come up with another word to describe, you know, more of what I want to talk about, but then, you know, I've defined that. And so then I'm restricted in how I use that. And so I need to keep going and going and going. And yeah. I feel like those stances are about that. And the, 
the music in the song echoes that a little bit too. I think more than um, maybe more than other Fugazi songs, it's sort of like repetitive sounding in this little riff. And and there, there's of course the one section of the song where the riff is just repeated with silence in between, right? Like uh, with no no drums or anything like that. It's just invites people to listen to the same riff four times in a row and it's it's a little bit simple and it's yeah it just sort of echoes what's happening in the song which is interesting because you know Ian has said in the past like when he writes a song it's like the music sort of comes first and to him the music has a meaning and he writes words after the fact to convey that the meaning that already existed in the music to the listener yeah i've heard him talk about that that is just a foreign notion to me i mean my brain does not work like that at all and so i just take his word for it i don't know how in the world i would ever do that but (laughs) if it works for him i mean great um but uh i mean speaking of of the music do you have anything in particular to say about the the sonic qualities going on here uh not too too much i mean again like because when I've heard the song, it's been the live version almost every time to the point that I hadn't listened to the record in I don't know how many years. And I, you know, getting ready for this, I just listened to it again. And I was struck by how like slow the song song was. Like the pace of it was much slower than the average uh, version on the uh, in the shows. Yeah, um, and I think I think I like the. I mean, this is. For most of the songs, I like the live versions better. Not all, but, you know, most of them. And this would be a song where I feel like that. And I think that part of what I like about the live versions um, is how whoever the, the second singer is on most of the songs, there's this, it, at the beginning it was Gee, but then towards the end it was Joe in some of the... Um, the language keeps me locked in repeating parts that they add in there. Um, like Joe would be saying part of that. And um, I think that that's a nice touch. Um, I'm not sophisticated enough in terms of like the instruments to really talk about like what either of the players are doing with their instruments. I just know that I like it <laughs> and I, I can, you know, Brendan's drumming is always strong. Joe's bass lines. You know, it may be as simple in this song, but um, is good nonetheless. I mean, I, you know, for ninety nine percent of their songs, what they do, you know, just sounds so good to me. You know, one of the videos that I saw, I believe it was as far back as nineteen ninety three, and Joe was doing the backup vocals. Have you seen videos of of Guy doing the backing vocals? I haven't seen videos of it, but he does it for the first. Um, I want to say like two or three months that they play the song. And then after that, there's a period where I think nobody does it. Mm. And then not long after that, Joe picks up again. It must, I'm just speculating, but you know, they, with a lot of their songs, they make little changes like that over time based on, you know, who knows, you know, different things for different songs. But um, I like it better when Joe does it than when, he does it there's something about just um 
Joe's style is a little bit more reserved than Guy's, which I think fits the, the role better for this song. But, you know, again, I'm, I'm not speaking as it, it's like a fact or anything like that. It's just you know how it comes across to me. Yeah, I think that's a good observation. I think I'd agree with that. Um, yeah. yeah, good choice. I think maybe musically, Brendan is probably the highlight of the song for me. He's just doing real clean things on the hi-hats in the verse. And I like the way the song sort of starts with a snare hit. Signature Brendan snare sounds. Um, so that's enjoyable. I like the... When Ian's singing America is just a word, but I use it, there's this very jangly guitar parts, but and there's sort of interesting notes over top of that. And then, of course, in um, Language Keeps Me Locked and Repeating, the time signature changes to like a this chuggy 5-4 time. That's, <clears throat> that, and that's, I guess that's a pretty clever way to, um, way to, to marry the music with the concept of the lyrics that are happening because I, I think we're used to hearing songs that are just in 4-4 four, four time and it's like, okay, beginning, end, beginning, end of each bar. And then but <clears throat> when you're listening to a song in 5-4, I think it tricks your brain a little bit because it's like going one over the, um, the, the sort of allotted number of beats you have in each bar before repeating so it almost feels like it's it's sort of like tumbling into the next bar or it's off kilter like it's it's more of a spinning wheel maybe yeah i mean i definitely like the the change in the time i mean i couldn't because again i'm terrible with this like with the music parts and being able to like put the words to what i exactly i'm hearing but yeah i mean the the five four if that's what it is i mean i that works better for that part for sure i mean it's just kind of change of pace you know if it, if it kept the same time i feel like the song you know, slipped to becoming more boring you know let's talk about what people have to say on the alphabetical fugazi facebook page so first of all jared coffin uh wanted to um and, and i and thanks for this jared because i couldn't make out on the recording and in a lot of live versions the thing that ian says at the very end it sounds pretty clearly like the the quiet part that he says at the very end is i pull it in I let it out, and then he sort of says something that's very. And then he breathes. <laughs> yeah, um, there's this little breath, and Jared Coffin points out that uh, he says the air it has no taste. The air it has no taste, uh, and it's uh, very hard to make out. But uh, he says I heard it expressed clearly at a live show. So yeah, that's a good addition. I I don't know if I would have figured that out uh, if it weren't for that comment. So thanks, Jared. Um, and he also says, I love this one because he says two very influential lines in it. America is just a word, but I use it. And language keeps me locked and repeating. They're self-explanatory, but extremely profound. Colin Mack says, I love this one. Surely above a four star for me. I always interpreted this as having roots in library stacks and also Ian's role as an archivist. It makes me, <laughs> it also makes me think of the stacks level from Goldeneye. <laughs> were you, were you, a, <laughs> were you a Goldeneye player, David? I did play it a bit back in uh, you know my college days, yeah. Um, but you know, not an obsessive for sure. <laughs> yeah, I think for me it was more like high school era. But uh, yeah, I, I logged my fair share of hours on that game, so <laughs> I appreciate that comment. Carl Goldsmink says, perhaps the best example of the crisp, clean, somehow dry sound on Steady Diet, easy to overlook as it's an unshowy but solidly reliable moment. And Rob Virginio says it always 
caught my attention in the instrument documentary when the middle school girl asks about the song and after a couple of swings, Ian just resorts to, that's a complicated song. It was always great live. I love the way Guy would always repeat just a word over and over after Ian sings America's just a word, but I use it. Not a five, but a strong four. Oliver Kogod says, America is just a word, but I use it is a powerful, powerful line. There's a lot of meaning behind those nine words. And I see stacks in dialogue with burning and promises. The three songs share the theme of language confining its users. So, uh, yeah, definitely agreed with that. It's a, it's a theme we've seen come up again and again. Mike Farr says, one of my all-time favorite Fugazi songs, when I think of the Steady Diet album, this is always the song that comes to mind. The sparseness of the verses compared with that driving 5-4 chorus and the killer lyrical lines that people have mentioned. So good. Also, the hi-hat work is impeccable on this track. Those accented eighth notes give it this kind of groovy feel that I don't hear in many other Fugazi tracks. R.W. Swanson says, the first line of Don DeLillo's book Underworld reads, quote, he speaks in your voice, American, and there's a shine in his eye that's halfway hopeful, end quote. I don't know why, but it always struck me kind of funny, echoes the best line from this otherwise milquetoast of a song, America is just a word, but I use it. And that's all I can really say about stacks. If I were to rate it amongst Fugazi's catalog, it's 0.75, sorry. And Jeremy Williams finally says, it's a great song, not one of my favorites song-wise, but lyrically, I love it. The lyrics, and particularly the line, language keeps me locked and repeating, and some of the other lines, when this came out, I was 19 and devoured it, and every word, it really got me to thinking about how much the language that is used, the actual words chosen to say something, sometimes allude to an agenda other than honest communication, particularly in the news or by authorities, particularly the government, how the words used often are chosen with an agenda. Obviously can't say for sure if this was what was being thought about when they were written, but like a lot of Fugazi, the lyrics got my young mind thinking. Yeah, and isn't that, isn't that Jeremy, the most important thing that uh, even if you can't exactly pin down what it means at the end of the day, it gets you thinking. I think that's what I really value about a lot of Fugazi's lyrics. So we got some stabs at uh, people's sort of um, evaluation of stacks. So uh, let's go to ratings. And I'll ask you, David Fisher, if you could rate this song on a scale of one to five in the context of the whole Fugazi catalog, what do you think Stax gets? Well, I like this song for sure. Um, How I feel about it today is probably a strong four. I mean, it's probably about maybe my 20th or so favorite, uh, Fugazi songs or Fugazi song. And, uh, you know, if, if I was to go to a show and hear them play it, I'd be more than happy. I think in the grand scheme of things, this is not one of my favorites in terms of the entire Fugazi catalog. I guess it just feels a little monotonous for me. I don't think it would be on my dream set list to hear them play it live so i think i i have to come in at like a a one and a half stars on this one sadly so i think it is one of the ones that lyrically pops into my head pretty often like in terms of just fugazi lines that i find myself thinking about as i go about my daily life it's probably like in the top 10 percent of songs in that regard um and i certainly do value that I guess that brings us to plugs. So David Fisher, do you have uh, anything, any projects or failing that, just anything you'd like to uh, 
point our listeners' attention to and uh, have them check out? Well, I don't have uh, much for me. I'm not online with uh, social media or anything like that. Uh, I just do my own thing. Uh, I would ask the uh, listeners to just keep staying informed about what's happening in Hong Kong and Taiwan and China and whatnot and decide for yourself, uh, you know, what you think our country should do. Uh, but I'm more sort of relevant to what we're talking about uh, today. I, I want to thank you for creating uh, this series. I mean, it's something that has really been a great addition to the Fugazi canon, I feel like, and including just regular fans and having uh, other important people in the Fugazi solar system uh, take part uh, has has really added something to continue their relevance in my life, uh, which is something that I really value greatly. And so thanks a lot for that, Ian. Oh, you're very welcome. And, and thanks for joining me on this. And, you know, mentioning Hong Kong, one of the things that I feel like I should have made a note about is to talk about the concept of America. America is just a word, but I use it from the like from the perspective of an expatriate. Um, of course, you're you're an American who lives in Hong Kong. Um, I myself had an experience of living for a few years um, in East Asia, and I I just have to say, I mean, there's so much I could say about it, but I really really value the perspective that gave me on my native country and how things work, how things operate and the and how things could operate elsewhere. And you know, where I lived in Korea, I think they did some things m- much better than we do them in America. Some things are are not as good at all. Some sort of like there's you know gender roles and expectations about how women are supposed to behave just off the top of my head. Um, are much uh, more behind the times in South Korea. But basically what I'm saying is I really value the opportunity that that experience gave me to just see what the possibilities are about how the world can work. And I realize this is a a privileged thing to say, but um, if anyone out there listening has a chance to travel the world, um, especially to live abroad, I can't recommend it highly enough. I know like at, at my age now, uh, I think people who are like me at the age of 40 or later might be sort of locked into a certain circumstance. But if there are young people out there listening who have a chance to sort of drop it all and, and see the world and live and work elsewhere, I recommend it. So that's my plug. <laughs> I could go on and on and on and on talking about uh, all different things related to uh you know, moving from the U.S. and living here and stuff. But, you know, I don't want this episode to be two hours long. So, um, Yeah, I guess that's a that's a different thing to uh, talk about entirely. I'm sure we could uh, shoot ideas about that back and forth for quite a while, David. Um, but mm. it's it's been nice having the conversation that we did have. And thanks for helping me tackle this. Uh, listeners, as always, if you want to recommend the show to a friend who listens to Fugazi, please do. And you can always email me at fugazi a to z at gmail.com, like David has in the past. And uh, let me know if I missed something um, or if you have any thoughts on anything coming up as well. Uh, I hope you'll join me for the next episode when we'll be discussing steady diet. Until then, keep your eyes open. <laughs>